The Higher Side Chats doesn't start with underwear ads or guilt-tripping donation pleas, nor would I ever commit the cardinal sin of podcasting and interrupt the flow mid-show to show you an unrelated sponsor. But the free first-hour episodes do have to start with a little PSA before we get into it to ever so quickly remind slash inform listeners both old slash new that you're about to get into what I'm sure is a great first hour of a high-level interview, but that means you're missing half the show. If you like what we do around here, get yourself a THC Plus membership and listen to the full two-hour interviews as they were really designed to be and as I know you would enjoy them most. Give a little and actually get a little more in return of the thing you're actually engaging with. Five episodes every month, plus forum access, community comments, downloads to all the closing cover songs, a plus show RSS feed to use with any private RSS feed supported app, and the occasional joint session bonus shows, which include the messages you might leave me about your own theories, experiences, or otherworldly encounters at thehiresidechats.com slash voicemail. If you're not quite sure, if you just want to feel us out, or if you're only here for this particular episode, no worries. New first-time subscribers get a seven-day free trial when you sign up at thehiresidechats.com. Cancel anytime. Try it out, because it's so important to feed the things you want to grow and starve the things that gotta go. And with that said, let's get on with it already, huh? In the 1930s, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt addressed the nation through a series of radio broadcasts known as the Fireside Chats. His aim was to reassure the common man that our society would recover from its troubled times. Well, we're far from 1930, and I deal with a different kind of fire. For a new era of worldly frustration, we offer a fresh conversation. I'm Greg Carlwood, and these are the Higher Side Chats. Here we go, doing the thing from sunny San Diego. I'm Greg Carlwood, and it seems like someone should tell Miley the party in the USA is certainly winding down. Fractured communities, culture war obsessions, struggling small businesses, medical tyranny, routine gun violence, and several other layers on the conspiracy cake seem to have most people at a serious breaking point. It's as if we're being abused like lab rats in a social control-obsessed behavior sweat dream, and so many people still lack the eyes to see the string pullers serving up every possible type of thing to take up the last amount of real estate in our already overexhausted minds. And where does it all come from? Who are the real stage directors behind the curtain, now pushing monkeypox and another school shooting out into the spotlight? Well, everyone has their power pyramid mapped out in their own way, but after combing through the work of today's guest David Whitehead, it seems like there are a few esoteric orders and nefarious knighthoods that really aren't getting the attention they should be. If you don't know David, he's the passionate Canadian podcaster behind the show Truth Warrior, as well as the co-host of Unslaved with Michael Tassarian. He weaves together the esoteric and conspiratorial with philosophy, mythology, history, geopolitics, and even self-improvement, as he's a passionate martial artist as well. He has a seven-and-counting part documentary series out right now that's really catching fire called Cult of the Medics, as well as a little less heavy series called The Mars Chronicles, and I look forward to talking to him about both and more. The Canadian conspiracy chronicler, jiu-jitsu guru, and hard-working truth warrior, David, my man, welcome to the higher side. Hey, Greg, that was awesome, man. I really appreciate that. First of all, I love your show, and it's a real honor to be on with you, man. Uh, too kind. I'm really glad we could make this happen. I 
catch a lot of what you put out, and we are so on the same page with many of the big themes that conspiracy podcasters tackle, and kudos on all your hard work. Funny enough, Michael Tassarion has a special place in THC history as I started the show in 2010, trying to talk to comedians about conspiracy, and it just wasn't clicking until I decided to reach out to one of the researchers I liked so much, and that was Michael Tassarion. And after that interview, the whole direction and format of the show changed to what it is today, and it's great to see that he's still killing it, and you're right there running co-pilot. You guys do some great stuff together, man. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, Michael's been instrumental. He's a big mentor, friend, colleague now. We've been working together for many years. And what I loved about working with him was he didn't just say, hey, come listen to me. He's just an encyclopedia of uh, just some of the best works out there on so many different subjects. So he's just, he's a reference guide. And so when you follow up the references and you start researching it for yourself, a massive picture emerges that we're going to be talking about. And then, of course, I do my own show, as you said, Truth Warrior. I've been interviewing people since as far back as 2008. And whether I aired them all or whether I was just talking to people, I was just curious. I just wanted to know what the hell is going on in this crazy world. Why is everything so messed up? Why is the media full of lies? And I, I knew that even back then. And look where we are now. It's as if all the conspiracy theories that we were theorizing about for so many years are happening right in front of our eyes. And we're actually almost running out of conspiracy theories now because you know, just got to wait a few days and they get proven true. So it's a great time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. It's bittersweet, I would say. But yes, uh, it's a good industry to be in right now. <laughs> the uh, Calm and Simple Times podcasts, they're out of material. It's all conspiracy now. But <laughs> as you are a neighbor to the north. I wanted to make sure we at least touched on what it's like being Canadian right now. Trudeau has really not been looking good in the alternative media, even the mainstream media. We had the trucker convoy, but now, several weeks later, it's easy for a lot of Americans to feel like COVID restrictions are pretty much over. If you're not captured by the fear, you can pretty much go and do whatever you want, at least for now. But Canadians still have it pretty rough, don't they? Well, yeah, it's insanity over here at the moment. I was very much involved with, well, let's just put it this way. I was following very closely what was going on with the trucker convoys. I've been trying to beat the drum of waking people up in Canada to what's really going on for quite some time, as many others have. And I was overjoyed to see it go critical, or not critical, but critical mass. Yeah in Canada, where basically over 11 million Canadians either came out and directly supported the trucker convoy in their local townships or on the overpasses, or they actually took the journey across this massive landscape to go and see for themselves what was going on in Ottawa during that time. While people came from all over the country, from all walks of life, all backgrounds, religions, political divisions, etc., to stand in minus 35 degree weather protesting for what is already laid out in our Charter of Rights and Freedoms in this country. And right now, and for many years, our government, our federal government, has been in gross violation of both national and international laws, which is something I've been trying to bring attention to. And when the pandemic really kicked off, I think people all over the world started to take notice to how all of a sudden, all their governments changed, all their media changed, the health regulations changed. They even changed the definition of what a pandemic was. They changed 
the definition of what a vaccine was. They changed, you know, they basically ignored the Geneva Convention, the Nuremberg Code, all these different things that we've determined that protect your right for fully informed consent, your right for bodily autonomy, and your human rights. And we're seeing these violations happen around the world. And so one can't help but think there's a high level of sophistication and coordination going on here. And Canada is an excellent case example of exactly that. Mm -hmm. And we have Trudeau, you know, teaming up with another party called the NDP party, which was supposed to be an opposition party, but now they're in bed together. Our conservative party leadership here is also a swamp right top to bottom. There might be a few good guys in there, but they're definitely outnumbered at this point. We've even had other parties rise up like the People's Party of Canada led by Maxime Bernier, who is one of the most smeared, slandered, and attacked politicians in Canada ever since he left the Conservative Party to try to start something better that was more in line with traditional Canadian values. And so there's a battle happening, and not all Canadians agree on the solution, but we definitely know that what's happening is a big problem because right now, as I speak, I'm not permitted to take a train, a plane, or a bus, not just leaving the country, but also traveling within my own country. You know, my mother passed away, not to COVID, but she had heart failure, some other complications at the beginning of 2020. And we were not able to have a funeral even to this day because we couldn't get everybody together unless everybody got the shots. So that's the situation we're in. And so there's a big fight. There's another election coming up. So some people have some hope in people like Pierre Polyev and Maxime and some of these other politicians who could probably turn the tide and at least get us out of this mess with Trudeau. But I personally am really trying to just reach the people and say, look, we keep putting our faith and our trust in these politicians, and there might be some better than others. But in the end, we as individuals have to live the freedom that we're craving. We have to be the example in our own personal lives. We have to work on a community, local level. If they're trying to make everything move towards a global totalitarian state type of operation, then we have to do the opposite, which is to work at a local level with our friends, families, communities. And that seems to be the massive spirit that's really taking storm in Canada right now. And I'll finish with this just to give you a bit of an idea of where it stands. A lot of people thought that after the truckers got rounded up by Trudeau's Gestapo that he hired from Quebec and probably members of the UN who he brought in. They had no badge numbers, they had no IDs, and they went in and basically curb stomped a whole bunch of peaceful Canadians, including elderly women, children, and men from all backgrounds. It was, it was a horrific scene. The world watched it. It's all documented. And now the government's trying to pretend like nothing ever happened and it was fully justified. But what that did is it obviously broke the morale of a lot of people because they thought, oh, well, see all that. It just had such a bad ending. But I'm here to tell people it's not ending. It's just, you know, we had to see what would happen. We had to let the government play their full hand and show just how tyrannical they are. And that ended up waking up a lot more people. And so recently, Health Canada, I don't know why they decided to do this as a poll on Twitter, but instead of just asking a question, but Health Canada, they did a poll asking the question, are these vaccines safe and effective? And do they stop the spread and transmission of COVID? True or false? They, they put it as a poll. <laughs> and if you just think about it, 
Twitter has been a problem with shadow banning, censorship, troll accounts, bot accounts, all these fake accounts. It's probably made up majority of fake accounts at this point because everybody's already fled due to the other waves of censorship. So whoever's left on Twitter either has created a new account or is just still the remaining minority, allegedly, that would be hanging on for dear life on a platform like that. And yet, even with that, even with all the fake accounts, even with all the banning of probably all the best people, they ended up with a poll where it said 87% out of, I think it was over 40,000 people voted on this poll. 87% said false, that that was a false statement, that these vaccines are safe and effective. Hmm. So then the Health Canada to come out and do a fact check of their own poll and say, uh, the correct answer is true. <laughs> and it was just literally, I think, one of the most embarrassing moments for the government. If you can imagine that 87%, I think if this even would have been three months ago, it would have been maybe around 50%. But we're at that point, Greg, where in Canada, even the people who got the jabs, I was even just talking to a friend of mine who he was oblivious to the whole thing, went along with it. He just wanted to live his life and he got all three jabs and somehow survived to this point. And he's like, well, uh, these guys are lying because I, I got COVID like twice after getting the jabs. And I'm like, yeah, so people are waking up just by a factor of reality hitting them. Right. And that's a tide that no amount of propaganda can ever combat effectively. And we're seeing the results of that. So I say to people, the trucker convoy had a massive victory. I actually attribute the fact that the vast majority of the provinces started dropping their mandates shortly afterwards. And the media even had to say, oh, but we're dropping the mandates, but it has nothing to do with the truckers. Uh, and so uh, anyways, I see it as a net positive in the long run. And the resistance to tyranny in Canada has only just begun. Yes, yes. Great message. Good advice. The beauty of that survey and the trucker convoy is that the whole system has coordinated to make people who think critically about this stuff feel as if they're all alone. And we don't have a lot of indications that we aren't alone, especially through the traditional channels or even in a lot of our inner circles. But we do find cracks in that engineered perspective that everyone is in lockstep mainstream agreement. And the media and politicians lost a lot of credibility condemning the trucker convoy when everyone was out there smiling and supporting each other and doing a really good job of, on camera, seeming very positive, as positive as they could. But the state of Canada concerns me greatly because people always say, if you don't like the situation, then leave, and Canadians can't leave. No. Historically, that's a scary place to be. And if the unvaxxed are a threat, then you should be shipping them out of there instead of blocking them in, wouldn't you think? <laughs> but add in the donors for the trucker protest being like a beta test for canceling people and locking them out of their finances just for donating to a protest movement. Right. So they got you there and then it becomes hard to make a living without having these shots. So I really feel for the Canadian counterculture and I hope listeners don't forget that just because it's not in the news cycle anymore, the tyranny hasn't ended. But all that said, I did plan to start off with the Mars Chronicles, something nice and light, <laughs> but we're in it now. And we just had this school shooting in Texas and we had a supermarket shooting in Buffalo, New York. And I'm looking at the guest list of people I have booked for the next few weeks, and I'm not seeing anybody better than you to talk to about these events. Not something we had planned, but have you spent much time deconstructing either of these events yet? Has anything stuck out to you as strange or suspect or even esoteric? 
Well, I haven't gone into the nitty gritty of every single part of these specific shootings other than just learning about it. I spent a lot of time yesterday kind of going through and, and seeing what happened. What I noticed about uh, one of the school shootings was that was in Texas, that there was essentially parents standing outside of the school while they're hearing gunfire go off while their children are inside the school. Mm -hmm. And they're literally arguing with the police and the sheriff's department to go in and save the kids. And they just kept getting told back away. We're waiting for the SWAT teams. And the parents are like, we're the SWAT teams. They were ready to grab the police equipment and go in themselves. I mean, I can imagine what I would have, I would have found a way in. I wouldn't give, I'd find a way to drop through the glass like Tom Cruise, man. I wouldn't care. <laughs> Take that guy out. I can understand the parents and it, to see the police sit there and do nothing while this is happening is either a sign that the state of the police in that area, and I see this everywhere, is so bad that they're not trained properly. They're so encased in the just follow the orders mindset that if they're told to stand down, they will. Or there's some kind of a, an element to this where this was a false flag event that was meant, you know, timing was interesting right before these midterm elections, right as the pandemic is being exposed literally from every possible angle, right as they start, you know, scaring everybody with monkeypox, which we can get into in a bit. It's as if they just need a constant stream of fear to grip people on every level on a regular basis. They don't care what kind of fear it is. And of course, we know that they've been trying to take away the Second Amendment in America and other Western countries for decades. And so to me, whether this is just a horrible, tragic event that is the result of a deranged child who got a hold of thousands of dollars of military-grade equipment mm -hmm. and went into a school just as a result of the environment we live in and the environment these kids are growing up with, where maybe he was on some kind of medications. I believe he was seeing a therapist. Many of these shooters are already known to be very troubled. And he was posting pictures of himself with his weapons and how he was saying he wanted to kill people and all that. So and it was interesting that the county, I believe it was with this one in Texas, I was reading that they actually had started a program not that long ago where they did like an AI system of trying to track down troubled youth so that they could stop school shooters. Like, it's just interesting that they actually had a program. It was like a unique program of trying to stop these shooters. And they had this very sophisticated AI system of how to pick up different character traits, et cetera. And yet... There's this kid basically advertising on his social media how sick he is and what kind of stuff he's into. And you just got all the signs right in front of you. And yet, <laughs> not only did they stop him, it's as if the police, just like on January 6th, they just go, yeah, go right on in. Go right on in. Keep going. Mm -hmm. And that, that's the feeling. You know, I don't have all the details, but it's just I can understand. Actually, I can't even imagine what these parents must be going through, having to sit there helplessly listening to their children being murdered right. and, and terrorized and the police are doing nothing. I mean, that was the one piece that really stood out for me. And then I saw that it was in a press conference where the sheriff is out there. I think he even went on CNN and they're like, yeah, we, the cops didn't go in because they were concerned about the risk of being shot. I'm like, yeah, that's, uh, <laughs> that's part of the job. I mean, do you have firefighters? They're afraid to go into a burning house. I mean, you're a firefighter. Welcome to day one. You're a police officer. You got a firearm for a reason. You're trained to deal with this. You got a bunch of moms that are ready to go in there 
and yet you guys are too cowardly to go in and stop genocide from happening. So I think that, you know, this is where we could bring in the other layers, the deeper layers of many of these different CIA programs, the MK Ultra stuff, the, you know, the history of psychological warfare, grooming different types of shooters. There was even a, an article that I just posted on my Telegram, and it was from 2018, and it was entitled Parents Catch FBI in a Plot to Force Mentally Ill Son to Be a Right-Wing Terrorist. Yeah. And it was reported by The Last American Vagabond, and uh, I won't recount the whole thing, but there's been many cases where there's actually legal suits against the FBI because they believe that FBI agents and handlers were actually grooming their children for these types of scenarios. And if you don't even get into that, you can just get into the fact, look at the media, look at the type of environment we live in. That alone is grooming violence in these young children and, and just that disassociation and that what kind of drugs was this kid on, you know? So, so many questions that I have, but I'll just tell you this. It, there's a lot that stinks about these things. And we know these shootings have been going on for a long time in America. And oddly enough, Greg, they seem to happen in the areas that have the strictest gun laws. And although I know this one was in Texas, apparently there was there's certain counties that are a little bit different than others. And even just the whole topic of this has been put on full blast in the media because we know the ultimate agenda is to disarm law-abiding citizens and to funnel that means of power distribution into the hands of the criminal networks and the government, which if you get into the history of government, just read a book called Death by Government by R.J. Rummel you'll understand why so many people are not really that interested in giving up their right to defend themselves. Mm -hmm. Yes, well said. Those are great points. And I'm sorry to spring this topic on you because usually I bring guests on to get deep into their specific work and expertise, but there was just no one else to talk to about it on my schedule. And I just wanted to run through a few other details and then we'll skip ahead to some of your stuff. But sure. Yeah, with this shooting in Texas, it happened basically two days ago from the time we're recording, and the story is still changing. But right off the bat, as you said, this kid is supposed to come from a very poor family. He worked at Wendy's. Where did he get these two guns that cost multiple thousands of dollars? Full body armor doesn't really make a lot of sense. He apparently shot his grandma and then started driving. It seems like police were in pursuit. He runs this truck, also an expensive truck, into a ditch. Apparently, he shot a few shots before entering the school, so the school was supposed to already be on lockdown. Cops had plenty of opportunity to engage this kid. Some reports say they did. Some said they didn't. But yes, that is very disturbing footage of the police basically policing the parents, yeah. trying to get into the school, even tasering some. And they let this guy in there with the guns for over an hour I saw one report where the headline said he was in there for 91 minutes with 19 dead. And we know the esoteric significance of nine and one, hmm. whether it was really 91 minutes or not. They put those stories out with the coded numbers in the headlines and it just doesn't add up. And then one other point, I wanted to give credit to this guy who goes by Brother Berg. I might try to get him on for an interview because these numerology synchromistic guys always fascinate me. And he describes his work as deciphering mathematic synchronicities of scripted reality. But he looked at this kid's birthday, May 16th, 2004, and found that it's 33 years, three months, and three weeks from the founding of the World Economic Forum. 
And it's also 66 years, six weeks, and six days after Klaus Schwab's birthday. Interesting. And I haven't necessarily vetted that, but if it's right, I mean, that's too specific to be random, if you ask me. And I just wanted to jump over to this Buffalo shooting to make a point about it. But this happened in a supermarket, and this guy seems to have described himself as authoritarian left, despite the news saying he was a right-wing conspiracy-obsessed nut. And that's just a small thing that speaks to how the media shapes these narratives. But what I find interesting is that one of the victims was a security guard who worked at the supermarket. So not just a random shopper, but somebody who was clearly going to be there. His name was Aaron Salter. And he had a side business called AWS Hydrogen Technologies, And he has YouTube demonstrations of getting regular cars and trucks to run on water. And just like the top comment on his YouTube demonstration says, it seems like people who create HHO electrolysis systems in gas vehicles all end up dying. Mm. And if you know anything about Stanley Meyer and a few others in that space, that does seem to be true. It's something that the oil oligarchy has been doing for a long time. There are no alternatives but us. And this just seems to be really coincidentally conflicting with that oil everything monopoly. And so they've done it before. It just seems like it's in the mix of why this might have happened. Also, let's add that the shooter drove over 200 miles to get there. I would think there was a closer grocery store if your goal was just to create chaos. So that kind of seems intentional. I've seen it before where, you know, there really is one target, but to hide that fact, you kill a bunch of people and make it seem like a random thing. But good point about this kid going to a therapist. You know, a lot of these kids are on antidepressants and SSRIs. And so often the news will report that investigators already had a file on the shooter. And everyone asks, well, why didn't they get him then? And the obvious answer to me is that this is how they find the people to manipulate into becoming mass shooters. Unstable, volatile, naive, not so bright, poor. And then they give them access to weapons they could never get on their own. And they coax them down the path and then shoot them as the heroes at the end of the day. So it just seems to be a template that happens. Grooming is the right word for it. I interviewed a guy years ago named Trevor Aronson, who is kind of a conventional NPR kind of journalist, but he wrote this book called The FBI's Manufactured War on Terror. And it is just a book full of these stories of kids in forums getting caught up with a person who tells them that they should commit violence. And then that is an FBI agent and they give them the gun and they set them all up. It just seems like MKUltra is alive and well. So many of these kids, when they do get out alive, they say, I heard voices in my head telling me to do this, or I don't remember anything. And we just ignore those reports. But Mm. man, I just wanted to lay all that out there because it is pertinent news. And I didn't know where else I was going to talk about it. But looking at the time. I'm glad you did, Greg, because this is important. It actually will fit in as we go through this stuff. And I'll tell people right now. The only evidence of conspiracy that you need about this is to see that the actual solutions to these types of issues like child school shooters in America and et cetera, there are solutions that could be implemented easily to stop this permanently. It would never happen. For example, just in New Mexico, 
There are schools where the teachers themselves are all armed. There's a video I also just posted on my Telegram. There's this one school in New Mexico where literally all the teachers are trained and they all carry 45s. And the people that are just allergic to guns or whatever, you know, they're going to be squeamish about that. But are there school shootings at those kind of schools? Absolutely not, because there's this weird thing that predators do, whether they're in the wild or whether they're interspecies predators within humanity, is they look for easy targets. They look for unprotected areas. They're not going to come after something that's going to be an immediate fight for them. That's why they target schools. They target vulnerable areas that have very, very strict gun laws. I'm trying to remember what state it is that has the loosest gun laws, and they have the lowest instance of these types of shooting events and crime. Whereas if you go to places like Chicago and other places with very high levels of gun laws, man, it's a war zone in these places. And it's as if someone wants to keep this going on in perpetuity because they refuse stubbornly to actually enact, whether you like that solution that I just said or others that could be used, they don't ever do it. They create the environment for crime to thrive because just as we're going to be covering in the medical mafia scenario here with Cult of the Medics, there's a business of profiting in more ways than just money off of disease, death, terror, and crime. And when people understand that, the world will start to make more sense. And if we can admit that to ourselves, then we can finally solve these problems and eradicate this from really, I don't know if we can ever get rid of it completely, but we could significantly reduce it. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well said. And yes, looking at the time, I'm going to flip the script and maybe we'll get to the Mars Chronicles at the end if we have time. But I do want to make sure this first hour gets into Cult of the Medic and this other side story you've been covering that might even be a bridge to get us there. This is a big setup, but I wanted to talk to you about this snake venom thread with the whole COVID op. I think right. most of this audience at this point would agree that COVID was genetically engineered in the lab, released on purpose, and then things like faulty PCR tests, hospital protocols, banning therapeutics, forced masks, lockdowns, it all worked to make the situation much worse than the actual pathogen itself. And the latest data on the vax damage from the Pfizer documents is pretty shocking too. And we don't need to rehash all the things we've already talked about but there's this new angle that's presented in a documentary from Dr. Brian Artis called Watch the Water. And you interviewed him on your podcast along with Judy Mikovits, and it's very good. But the intro to this film says, last December, Dr. Brian Artis received a text message from an emergency room physician friend of his that sent him down an unexpected and bizarre rabbit hole that may explain the adverse events from the vaccines that have been reported. The text read, hey, Dr. Artis, if you got bit by a rattlesnake, would you go to a hospital and get anti-venom? Brian had no idea what this meant. He immediately set about researching snake anti-venom. He discovered that most are either monoclonal or polyclonal antibody treatments, just like the monoclonal antibodies that the CDC just removed as a COVID treatment in favor of remdesivir, which is almost guaranteed to kill you but which is now nonetheless the only government-approved treatment for infants and children with COVID in the U.S. He says, I realized all of a sudden monoclonal antibodies are antivenom. The federal government doesn't want us using antivenom. Why are they fighting antivenom and why are we finding antivenom works against COVID? Is it not a virus? Is it a venom? This is what I want to know. Is COVID a venom and is this why they don't want you using monoclonal antibodies? 
So that is the setup. Elaborate on this for us and how it might expose the whole cult of the medic for what it is. Well, I'm really glad you brought this up and I'll just say right off the bat that what I'm doing with this theory that Dr. Artis has brought forward is I'm just chasing it down right to the bitter end. Because the good thing about these things is whether it all ends up explaining everything or being the total picture, I have personally learned things about biological weapons, about how these peptides are used in so many different things within pharma, within even your pesticides and many of these other drugs, et cetera. You know, also learning the fact that there are curative elements that are contained within snake venom, which is really interesting to start diving into. But when I look at it, I go, all right, I came into this from studying the symbolic occult level. That's where we get into cult of the medics is essentially what we're dealing with is an ancient serpent cult. That's what it is. They're a cult of the serpent. You know, look back at the ancient worship of serpents was one of the most oldest forms of religion next to things like worshiping the stars and things like that and the sun and the moon. Serpent worship was a huge thing. And look at the symbolism that's contained within the medical pharma industry. It's nothing but serpent symbolism. What is the modus operandi of the serpent? I mean, even there's a military statue, I think it's outside of Fort Bragg. I'm trying to remember the name of the statue, but it's actually a statue of a soldier from World War II, I believe, who's stepping on the head of a serpent. And this mimics some of the Greek renderings of that symbol of, or even St. George and his dragon, you know, the slaying of the dragon, the stepping on the serpent. Think of the, even the references in the Bible. Unfortunately, snakes get a bad name in mythology, but it just has to do with how they operate. And so I came in from all that, and we actually did a series on this. Dr. Artis's interviews are included in that series. I started out with uh, my good friend, Josh Reed, who I'm doing Mars Chronicles with, where we were doing, you know, ancient serpent cults. He had also interviewed Dr. Artis. And when the documentary came out, I've got to say, I wasn't as into the way that the Stu Peters film rolled this out because I feel like in one sense it was good because it kind of broke it down and with a lot of drama and hype for the layman who maybe just can't understand it. But in another sense, when it comes to other scientists and colleagues, Dr. Artis has been under attack, you know, daily and, you know, also has had some legitimate criticisms, which are important as well in the process. But I feel like after doing the interviews, we pulled out so much more about this that really helped explain it. Because the cartoonish image people got from that, the general impression people got was that what he was proposing was that basically they're just milking rattles or king cobra and crate snakes, and they're just pouring big vats of snake venom raw right into the water supply. So one of the first rebuttals was, well, you know, your gut, you know, you can fight off if they ingest it, you know, you have a mechanism to basically fight off the venom from reaching anything that's going to hurt you. So that wouldn't really work. But what we have to really get into is just the level of sophistication in biological warfare. And that's why I just conducted a, an interview with Dr. Tao Braun, who I highly recommend you get on on this topic. He has a, a significant background in bioterrorism and things like that. And his angle on it, he was actually the one that I think also helped contribute to Dr. Artis coming out because he had said he tried to come out with this and just got zero traction. But when they did the film, it's what blew it up enough, even if it was a bit cartoonish and missing some pieces, it blew it up into a thing that then now we can go in and look deeper and say, okay, is there anything to this? I think there's something to it. 
And I think that what we're going to find out is that we've just kicked the door open of something that is vastly bigger than we possibly imagined. Because I think a lot of these viruses and flus and diseases are actually perpetuated, manufactured, and allowed to continue to exist, really, for the purposes of benefiting these pharmaceutical industries and the whole pharma industrial complex. So that said, when it comes to what we're talking about, really, we're talking about two different possible, well, there's a few different possibilities. Some people don't like the water aspect of the fact that this was put in the drinking water and that's how they did it. Dr. Artis got that from, it was a, a researcher out of China that did a study in China, in Wuhan, and she had basically come out in an interview at some point and said that the Chinese government, the Chinese Communist Party had been using this method of testing viruses on the population by freezing these peptides and these different viral particles within ice and then bringing the ice to these markets. And when the ice melted and then it starts to integrate with everything everybody's eating and exchanging, it passes around these types of things really, really quickly. And then they sit back and they monitor their results. And they've been doing this in China for a long time. And there's some other indications that that is the case also. And we also know even in the Western countries, there's a long history of the government experimenting on its own citizens and then later being exposed and then admitting it and then carrying on as if nothing ever happened. And so there's so many elements to that. But what we're dealing with here is not just raw snake venom, if this is what it ends up being. Another way of looking at it, I think Dr. Braun, he thinks this was aerosolized. That in some way, especially in Wuhan, when you started seeing footage of people dropping on in the streets, the first theory about that was that that was all staged and it was all just put on the internet as propaganda to freak everybody out. But right. deeper investigation shows that, no, no, there was really this kind of stuff going on in Wuhan. And if that's the case, that's not what viruses do to people. Viruses don't make you collapse in the street. They definitely don't make soccer players drop on the pitch uh, <laughs> either. There's something else going on. And that was the first indication to him that, well, there's some kind of aerosol release that they did in a market. And they're so sophisticated. I think this is where people are, that are really critical of this theory are missing out. They're not aware of just how sophisticated the biological weapons programs are. And that's a big blind spot that people have because they think, Oh, they just weaponized the flu. Well, what are the symptoms of this specific flu? And one of the big questions that really struck me to go investigate this further was a few things. Number one, why did children not experience COVID even the same way they experienced the flu? So when it comes to mortality numbers, according to even the official data that is hyped up to try to scare everybody, the children weren't dying from COVID and they die in higher numbers from actual just seasonal flu. So that was interesting. If this is a novel virus, if this is a new virus, why are children able to survive it? Whereas middle-aged people are so, you know, having so many issues with it, even though we know, again, it's, it's a lot of it's overblown. Cause I think this biological weapon, I think it actually in one sense, didn't get the traction they were hoping for. And in another sense, which we can get to, Dr. Braun, his theory is that they did it as a soft bioweapon on purpose because they wanted to roll this out in phases, but we can get to that. But um, just to finish this point, if children were not as affected by this as they are other respiratory viruses, including colds and flus, that was a 
interesting point to go, hmm, why would that be? Well, Dr. Artis was telling me that till the age of 12, you have almost like a second brain in your gut. Your gut acts as like a second brain and it has its own sort of immune system, if you will. And there's a certain aspect of that that protects you to an extra degree, specifically from toxins, poisons, et cetera. This is just a product of nature and how we've evolved on the planet that it protects you to the age of 12 because the idea is by the age of 12, you would have been touching more things. You would have experienced more of the terrain of the planet. And so then the actual body's natural defenses can take over from there. So there's almost like a, a crutch that a child has that an adult doesn't have. And that's what saved them from having the same effects from this if it was indeed weaponized venoms and probably other things that was involved with this. There could also be a respiratory element to it because they can actually take these snake peptides or peptides from anything cause, what are they, like snails and poisonous creatures, et cetera, and they can make it aerosolized and they can attach it to a virus and they can basically add it to the mix. So all we really have to look at with this theory is that we're just adding to what we already know. Also, the other thing here is that people that were smokers, like tobacco smokers, cigarette smokers, they had a very low death rate and hospitalization rate across the board. And that's interesting because you'd think if this is a respiratory virus that attacks the lungs in the way that they told us, why wouldn't people who smoke regularly be the worst category? Why are all the homeless people still walking around? I still see the same homeless people I did two years ago walking around downtown my area. How come they didn't get wiped out from this thing? And so it turns out that there's like a nicotine receptor in the system. And I'm not an expert here. I'm sort of just recounting from my interviews, but there's something with the nicotine that binds, I think it's to the ACE2 receptor or something like that. Don't quote me. I'm not the technical guy that it actually overpowers snake venom. So this could be one explanation is to add this to the mix that there's a snake venom or venom component to this virus as a part, as a byproduct of the real gain of function research that was going on that everybody's talking about. And then the other point I'll just add real quick, because there's so many, I recommend people go and watch the interviews and then go look at the sources. I put the sources all over my social media because I, I want to know the truth as well. I'm not committed either way. I just want to know what's really going on. When people realize that the recommendations that came out of this theory from artists and from Braun and many others now, Mikeovitz are into it now, is that we're just adding to the prescription of what can be given out to people that are suffering from this or people that have even been jabbed because there's definitely something in the jabs that's continuing to perpetuate this. There's definitely issues with remdesivir, as you said. It's a toxic drug. It shuts down your liver. It acts like a poison in the body. So we're just saying, hey, you can add, if people were to look at this, if doctors were to look at this as envenomation, what does that do? And with some of the solutions that didn't work with the idea that this was just some respiratory virus, but might work with the fact that we envision this as being an actual biological attack and that there's poison peptides from different creatures involved with this, that that could also change the way that they look at the solution. And from what I've heard and what I've seen a little bit on my own experience, that some of these protocols are actually having incredible results. A quick anecdotal story is that I had a friend of mine. I've known him for a long time. He's a very healthy guy, never gets sick. He's a contractor for a living. And he told me before I even broke down this theory to him, he told me he had gotten, well, I found out he got COVID. So I went over to see him, check in on him. 
And he said, oh, dude, it was crazy because I was with my crew. We were working on the site. Everybody was fine. We had to take the ferry back to the island afterwards. We all had a meal on the ferry. And then I'm driving home and I suddenly just get hit with like flu symptoms, like just out of nowhere. It wasn't like it slowly built up. It's just as if he says, I felt like I got poisoned. That's what he told me. I didn't even tell him the theory yet. And he goes, then what was crazy is my body started seizing and the body aches were just crazy. It was the worst part of it. And then later the lung issue came on. It wasn't lungs right away. It was later it became lung issue where he was kind of coughing and breathing and weird and all that. So I just said, hey, well, I did this interview with Dr. Artis. He had said that he had done tests. He had tried basically just giving people nicotine to try this, this nicotine gum. And I know that sounds crazy to people and it even sounded crazy to him. I said, I don't know. We're all just trying to figure out what the hell this is. Try chewing some of this gum. I literally picked it up and brought it to him. And he said he chewed it for the full day just to try it. He woke up the next day and he was back to normal. He couldn't believe it. It was like just as quickly as it came, it was gone. And I've heard a few other people now since I started doing these interviews, emailing me saying that the same thing happened with them. I'm not saying this works for everybody. I'm, not, I'm just telling you what I experienced. And I think that's interesting. So when we really unpack all the facts around it, because this is where people start having issues. And I've also interviewed people that don't think it is. And they've, they've even written articles trying to debunk Dr. Artis's theory. But what they typically do is they misunderstand what he's actually saying. I think that is due just to the way that it was rolled out. They didn't go and dig into the full spectrum of all the articles and the facts and the studies that he listed. And then they also don't equate, a lot of these guys are scientists and they look at peer-reviewed literature daily and they're looking for the truth in peer-reviewed literature. And the issue with that is something I expose in Cult of the Medics, which is that even the peer-review quote-unquote process and the whole medical journal area has become its own industry and is incredibly corrupt. And there's a lot of elements we can't rely on. All you got to do is look at what happened with the Lancet study that had to be retracted, as many other studies have been retracted. And there are many other studies that should be retracted, but haven't been yet because there's corruption top to bottom. And there's a lot of issues with that. So if people are expecting this concept to just be laid out in black and white, right in the medical literature, I would just suggest that that could be a blind spot in one sense, because you have to zoom out to see the bigger picture to really even take this on. And then in the end, I know Dr. Artis and many others are actually doing tests. They're trying to get a hold of actual raw remdesivir and these actual vaccines. I find it interesting that it's extremely difficult to get a hold of samples of vaccines and things like that to test, which is interesting. It's almost like they're hiding something, Greg. Hmm. Um, so anyways, they're going to try to do these tests to try to spell it out and try to find it. There is this study from Italy that you can look at. That's really interesting. It's not conclusive, but it shows the signatures of people who they did a test. I think this was pre-vaccine rollout. They did a test in Italy of a group of people that had COVID and a group of people that didn't. And in the COVID positive patients, they were showing up all kinds of different kinds. I think it was like 30 different types of snake and different sea creatures, types of toxins were found in their blood, their stool, their urine, et cetera. And so that was one of the other things that was very interesting. So there are elements of this within the peer-reviewed literature, but you know, it's not up to, a lot of guys don't just buy that. So 
I believe no matter how you look at it, whether it's just a respiratory virus, whether it's the people that believe viruses don't exist and it was all statistical fraud, or whether we're talking that there were venom peptides, that this is a poisoning, which I think actually, just really quickly as I'm saying that, go look up the word virus, go look up the word virus in an etymological dictionary. So you see the history of the word and the history of the word in both Greek, Latin, and also even in Sanskrit means poison. So the fact that people are saying they felt poisoned, it might actually be the case. And that might actually explain a lot of these, these viruses and flus and things that are going around that we're actually being, there are elements that are being weaponized from nature in these labs to perpetuate sickness and disease that can be profited from, not just financially, but also to move the power dynamic up to the top and centralize control and also achieve the dream of these globalists, which is to bring the numbers of the population down slowly over time. So there it is. Uh, there's so much more to it, but that's kind of the nutshell version of it. Yes, that is a great summary. And I know there are going to be people in this audience that are like, God, no, not another COVID theory. I get it. But, you know, this has been really compelling to me. And it does not even totally conflict with those viruses don't exist people because I've had those guests and a couple of them have mentioned what they think what we call viruses actually are, are the peptides and these parts of plants and animals that are harmful to us attached to bacteria and then put out there and they call it a virus. So honestly, we're kind of splitting hairs. Like I really don't even care if they can make invisible poisons and put them out into the environment and they spread through and you don't want to call it a virus, I really don't care. That's functionally the same thing to me. And it is a really good summary. Dr. Braun, that interview is compelling. He does mention, as you said, if you get COVID, why don't you just try some nicotine gum and see how you feel? Like, just try it out. It's not hard to get. And it is an interesting point. And um, Can I say one more thing on that, Greg? Just real quick. Yeah. For people that are skeptical about it, also remember the process of investigation here, okay? We don't have to commit to a theory. A theory is there for us to use as a tool so that we can get a framework for thought and how we're going to get to the truth, right? Mm -hmm. We have to go through something called the apophatic approach. This was brought out by Sherlock Holmes and all of that about how you find the truth. The truth is not just going to be sitting there looking at you in the face. You know, I guess sometimes it is, but most of the time, you have to remove all of the obstacles to the truth. And it's a painstaking process of elimination, right? So in order to get to the truth, you have to eliminate first the untrue so that the truth gets revealed to you. So when we look at these theories, don't just pick a camp and stick with it. Look at them all and go, yeah, let's agree on the fact that they've attacked us. They're using this as a means to depopulate, to change the order of society, and to bring in more controls from the top levels and to centralize power in the world. We just went through the largest transfer of wealth in human history when they shut down all these small businesses and funneled all the money to the top. And so it's not a stretch that we could all agree on that and then start going down these different paths to try to find out what the actual truth is because we're dealing with criminals here and criminals typically try to hide what they're doing so we're trying to uncover all of that. And when you're doing it, it is important to entertain and look at these and go down this. And sometimes you come up and go, you know what? I went all the way down the rabbit hole and I still came up with nothing. 
but I did learn a lot along the way. And I at least eliminated that as a possibility. So to the people that say, oh, this is just a big distraction. There's so many more important. It's not a distraction. If you're able to hold multiple things in your mind at once and entertain these ideas and realize that in order to understand one thing, you sometimes have to look at the polar opposite. So it's not a distraction. It's part of research. It's part of detective work. It's part of the real scientific method that should have been going on this entire time. And unfortunately, all the top fields of science have let us down due to the corruption, due to the fear, due to the government pinning them down. And so that means us, we the people right now, you and me, Greg, and people listening, we're going to be doing the science now and we're going to make mistakes, but that's okay. That's part of learning what the truth is. So I just want to ease everybody's tension a little bit because I know everybody gets up in arms when there's new ideas. But let's be a little more open-minded and just try to look at this. I think when we look behind this curtain, we're going to find something even bigger than any of us imagined. Mm -hmm. Amen. Amen. Yeah, we're investigating a crime and reverse engineering what was done. It's not easy. Another point I was going to throw out there about the aerosol thing is Dr. Braun said that heavy pollution helps it hang in the air. So, you know, when we have these other people who are like, oh, it was 5G because look at all the cities. It's like, well, if you spray a poison into the air and it hangs in the air because there's so much pollution, that could look like an overlap with 5G. But he said China knew this because they got out water cannons and did serious pollution reduction and air scrubbing right when the thing hit. So it's like they knew something was up there in the air mm. and that was kind of telling. But before this first hour runs out, I wanted to tie this into the Cult of the Medic series and get into the serpent symbolism, you know, because that's going to be very key if they're using a peptide from a snake venom and the history here, because the Knights Hospitalier are pretty key. And the medical system has always been sort of sick. Lots of third world and psych ward experimentation with drugs and vaccines lobotomies and bloodletting, the use of things like mercury. And we all just sort of go along with it as if to say, well, this is the best they knew at the time. This is what they thought was medicine. But it's pretty clearly in retrospect, not medicine. And experts even 50 years ago should know that cutting a chunk of your brain out and the way it made people turn into just vegetables wasn't medicine. So I really think we, we give them too much of a pass and they might have always had negative intentions masked as therapy and, and medicine. And talk to us about that. This kind of the, the symbolism of the serpent that goes right on through all of this, the Knights Hospitalier and just the history of what you're calling the cult of the medic. Yeah, great introduction there. So Cult of the Medics is a documentary series. People can watch it for free right now. I put it out for free. I just have a little donation there. Or if you can't do that, just share it. That's all I'm asking for. And it's going to be a 12-part series. I definitely got my work cut out for me. Yeah. I'm seven chapters in, and I'm currently producing chapter eight right now. And what it is, is it's a collection of all my interviews, all my notes that I've been looking at for over 18 years on this subject. And it actually weaves in all the subjects. I'm, I'm really trying to take down the house with this one because it's all connected in the end. And I, I know you're very aware of that, Greg. And what this is, is that the cult of the medics is we're looking at the ancient history and the roots, the occult roots of what we call the medical industrial complex. 
people have heard of the military industrial complex coined by Eisenhower to warn us about that. Well, the medical industrial complex works very much in the same fashion and it's all the same players. Surprise, surprise. There's a massive tie in here. Symbolically, the symbol of the serpent doesn't necessarily mean anything evil in itself. It's just a symbol like anything, but symbols are dualistic and it depends who's using it. You know, is it the bloods and the crypts using it for their gang signs, you know, so to speak, or is it people using ancient mystical symbolism to try to help awaken humanity? And when you look at the symbol of the serpent, it's one of the most ancient symbols on the planet. It's in all the fairy tales. It's in all the stories, whether we're talking dragons, serpents, lizards, creatures, whatever, you know, the serpent in ancient times, in many cultures was looked at dualistically as being a symbol for wisdom and also for medicine, right? So symbol of medicine and wisdom. And there's even the quotes from the Bible where the Christ is saying, you know, be ye wise as serpents. Meanwhile, the whole Bible is situated on the idea that there's a serpent lurking on the planet or serpent energy lurking on the planet that is profoundly evil and seeks the destruction of humanity. So interesting that you already see the dualistic nature within that book and, and many other aspects to it. And what I'm looking at here is I'm calling it a cult because I had been doing research on cults right before the pandemic. I was actually doing a show for History Channel called The Unexplained. You know, I had William Shatner as the main guy, and I was just kind of contributing research and doing some monologues and whatnot. And they had an episode where they flew me down to a place called the Museum of Death in LA, which is a, a horror show. It's a collection of all the pictures and newspaper clippings and all the stories of infamous serial killers and freaky cults like Heaven's Gate and Charles Manson and Jonestown and, you know, the Process Church, the Final Judgment, all these different cults. And they've got all this collection of this stuff. And we shot the episode in there. And I kept that research fresh in my mind as we moved into the pandemic, because I started seeing a lot of similarities between these different elements I was taking apart in these cults and seeing what was being pushed through the media, trying to create a cult-like mentality about the pandemic. And also, I had been triggered earlier on, because I've been wanting to put this thesis out for a long time, by two main books, which were, one was Confessions of a Medical Heretic by Dr. Mendelssohn. He was a famous doctor in the 70s. He wrote a whole book on how he basically left the flock, and he called it a religion. He called it a cult. All the chapters of this book are him comparing the medical system as it is now, because he looks at it as a system that got infiltrated and devolved. It could have been better than it is, but it basically has all the signatures of a cult. And then the other one was by Eustace Mullins, Murder by Injection. And you know those two books alone will open up a lot of people's minds. But when I put them together and I started putting all these pieces, and then I'd been doing work with people like Michael Desarian and Jordan Maxwell and many, many others on these ancient cults and what's going on at the Vatican with these Jesuits and these chivalric orders, you know, Opus Dei and the Knights Templars and the Masons. And a lot of people skip over the Knights of Malta, which their original name was the Venerable Order of St. John of Jerusalem, which ties them back to an even ancient, more ancient sect called the Benedictines, which we can get into. And then they eventually had to change their name they found a home on Malta and they called themselves the Knights of Malta. And even to this day on their own website, they refer to themselves as the official military order of the Catholic Church. And a quick little breakdown of that history is that the Templar order, when it was 
sort of disbanded and they hunted down some of the main knights, the Vatican did, and they shut it down, all the wealth that the Templars had accrued were actually held in trust by an order of clerics. So these would have been your priest class of the knights. The knights were the guys that went on the front lines, fought the battles. They were essentially mercenaries. They had an independent nature from the church, which is why they, the church didn't like them after a certain point. But look at the Catholic Church at that time and the Templars as really just two rival gangs. And I'm not indicting all the knights here. We're just talking here about the top levels, especially this clergy behind them, this cleric order behind them. And the Templars themselves, these were the front that were taken out, right? The rest of them were scattered all over Europe and they went in hiding. They were actually absorbed into the Knights of Malta. Their knowledge base, the wealth that they'd accrued. Don't forget that the Templars were the world's first international banking cartel. And a lot of that knowledge they actually gleaned from working with different orders within the Middle East when they were going on the Crusades. And there were some liaisons that were made there. They learned a lot about herbology, biological weapons. Just remember, by the way, snake venom is one of the oldest forms of biological warfare. And they took all this knowledge and they brought it into their order. And they were also a very sophisticated spy network during that middle age period. We're talking here now about the Knights of Malta specifically. They had a very sophisticated spy network, which in my mind, if we kind of roll through a bunch of pieces of history and fast forward to World War II era with Operation Paperclip that everybody might be familiar with, which I refer to as the Vatican Rat Lines, was all sponsored by Rome. They basically pulled out the top Nazi scientists from Germany and brought them into Western countries. And there were maybe some practical reasons for doing that on the surface, but deep down they were trying to maintain the structure of the orders that they created because there's a lot of research to show that the Vatican and many agencies of the Vatican and many of these secret societies are deeply embedded with what went down within Nazi Germany. There was a very occult level to that. It's all throughout their symbolism as well, by the way. And then it all got integrated together. So it just got all merged over time. And at some times in history, these gangs fight each other. And sometimes they unify under the banner so that they can keep the power, the wealth, the control of resources, etc. And so that's where the story of the Knights of Malta comes in because they were the Knights Hospitallers. During the Middle Age period, they were called the Knights Hospitallers. And they were kind of looked at as a rival gang to the Templars because they were in service to the Catholic Church. So that symbol ended up, their symbolism is what ended up on all of our major medical institutions, pharmaceutical companies, et cetera. You got your bowl of Hygieia, you got your cups of Hygieia, you know, which are serpents wrapped around cups. You got either the single snake going up the staff or the two serpents going up the staff. Again, nothing necessarily evil about that as a symbol. But it was used and employed by these orders to represent who they are. And they eventually, they got into the drug trade before anybody else did, these medics. And they exploited it for two reasons. One, they could produce medicines that would help in the field of health. But um, two, they could also basically dominate the space of controlling health and learning how these chemicals can also be used as a negative in warfare. And the question is, is did warfare start to be applied against the public because these guys realized that, or they had a belief that that was one way they could keep the population under control is you could drug them. You could keep them drugged, dumbed down, disconnected, et cetera. 
And then of course, you could also easily take out anybody you see as a threat. And so this knowledge, you look at the symbol of the Knights of Malta, it's a four-winged cross. It's the sort of the iron cross. To me, it's the four directional points pointing to the center, which to them, the center is Rome or Christendom or however they look at it, their order. And then another way to look at it is it's actually an unfolded pyramid seen from above. Mm. That's what that, those crosses are that you see all over these medical symbols. They're not Christian in the way most Christians would see it. These people are occultists. They have a totally different belief than you could possibly imagine. And they just wield those symbols to hide behind them. It's like the wolf in sheep's clothing kind of thing. And I'm also doing some stuff on this latest chapter about how that symbol didn't even originate in Christianity. It comes from the old rune stones from the Druids and the Vikings and the, you know, the box and all these people, the ancients. They looked at it as a solar symbol. And so if you remember the history of how Rome went on its escapades, they wiped out these people. They built the Vatican on top of ancient Mithraic temples. Those Mithraic temples were built on top of old Druidic ruins. And they look at that as actually a central node on the planet for power. And they have their whole occult game going on over there. So without belaboring the point, a cult is basically formed within the medical system. It's run from a literal cult. I'm not just speaking facetiously by naming it cult of the medics. I've identified that it is an actual cult. They operate like a cult. Look at any doctor today that speaks against the colleges or goes against the central line. They're treated as heretics in the same way that they would have been treated as heretics during the Inquisitions. And it's basically an old ancient story of secrecy, mystery, conspiracy, intrigue, like you couldn't imagine. And actually, I'm trying to tell that story on top of the canvas of what we just went through in the pandemic to really illustrate the point. And my final statement is that I was going to release this earlier, but I held off because I saw this pandemic unfolding and I wanted to see where it was going to go. I'm glad I did because now I have way more evidence to bolster this idea than I did before. That's why in the series, you're going to see me touching on a lot of different subjects that might seem disconnected, but if you stick around long enough, you'll see that it's all connected in the end. Mm. Cheers to that. Yes, it is a really great series and you did a good job breaking it down there. I also wanted to throw this out, but Michael Desarion in one of your interviews has a great line about just why doctors wear these white coats. You know, it, it all started with the robes and then they went to like the lab coats and it's white coats in the beginning, black robes at the end, and they got you from cradle to grave. You start life in a hospital and you end in a hospital if they have it their way. And it's just, yeah, totally lockstep, full spectrum dominance. And we just kind of take it for granted, even though it's right there under our noses. But man, I really loved it. This has been a lot of fun. Looks like it's about that time. I think we covered a lot of great ground, the light and the heavy, the light and the dark, you could say. Uh, something for everyone, but let the people know about any other projects you got going on, where to get the podcast, your website, all that important info. Well, Greg, first of all, thank you for what you do. You do a great show and thanks for having me on. This was a lot of fun. I appreciate you letting me rant a little bit. I get very passionate about this stuff. As you can tell, it is my life after all. And um, I appreciate everybody that likes to come and check out what I'm doing. If you want to learn about Cult of the Medics, very simple. Just go to cultofthemedics.com. 
It's all there. All the episodes are there. You even get download links. You can download the MP4 and watch it offline. You can share it on your own channels. I want this out as far and wide as possible. And then if you want to get into the real deep, advanced level research on all of these types of subjects, these alternative subjects, you go to unslaved.com. It's a paid school or paid online platform that I do with Michael Tessarian, kind of dissecting and bringing out all of his research. And uh, it's less than a cup of coffee a month. And it's what allows us to do this work. And it's already thousands of hours of, of unique information and presentations you're literally not going to see anywhere else. And then for my main public show that I do for free, I do it once or twice a week. I do video logs, all kinds of stuff. Go to dwtruthwarrior.com and that'll link you. I've, I'm off all the, the mainstream socialist media platforms because I've been banned for covering the pandemic. But you can get me on like Rumble, Rockfin, DLive, Twitch. Telegram is my main social media, although I do have a Twitter account. But it's all linked over at dwtruthwarrior.com. Awesome. Busy, busy guy. But it's certainly been a pleasure. Maybe you can put in a good word with Michael that I'd love to have him back and help promote the things that you guys are working on together and that he's been on for the last decade. Sure Our audience has definitely grown considerably since 2010. So I think it'd be worth it. But hey, either way, David, I really enjoyed it. And you've made some great content for sure. I don't doubt that you will continue putting out awesome stuff. So keep fighting the good fight and take care. Thanks again, man. Same to you. Haha, <laughs> had to do it, guys. Had to slide that in right there at the end. Always be closing. You know the game, but big thanks to David. I thought he really brought the heat. I definitely kind of shoehorned some shooting commentary in there, but I just felt like I wanted to get a few things out regarding those two situations without booking a whole show about it. And how crazy that we've had two more in just the time it takes for my guy to edit up an episode. Chattanooga and then another shooting in Tulsa at a hospital, I guess. How appropriate that our last episode was a deep dive into MKUltra because something is certainly not right with all this. When I hear these kids are always on SSRIs, part of me wonders if the therapists themselves aren't the ones feeding these kids to the three-letter agencies. Psychology is a dark field, but maybe I'm taking it a little too far. That said, I threw out some of the info I had seen at the time. As usual, we have initial reports, and then a few days later, so many of the details have changed. The kid apparently worked at Burger King, not Wendy's. Obviously, that's one of the most important details we have to get right. But he also had the same gun as Steven Paddock did, and apparently... Gun enthusiasts notice that the grip is in a strange position, and it's in that same position on both guns. But people were quick to jump on a lot of things that didn't add up in this case, and the system did do a little damage control, trying to say this impoverished kid got the thousands of dollars worth of guns, body armor, and ammo on credit. We knew he didn't have the cash, and now it makes sense because when I was 18, I couldn't even get lunch with the credit limits I was offered. But sure, that answers all the questions, doesn't it? Crazy that Canada did a blanket ban on handguns and in the same week organized some sort of vaccination task force? I don't like the sound of that. Not only can the unvaccinated not leave, but now it sounds like some kind of troops will be working off a list and making the rounds? 
I should be so cynical at this point that I expect stuff like that, but even I'm surprised. But I will say, when it comes to the Texas school shooting, the memes and general social commentary I've seen kind of rubs me the wrong way because it's totally appropriate to say these cops were cowards. But I am seeing a lot of blanket statements and memes about cops in general, and I never thought I'd be the one defending the police, but I think there's something to be said about all these stories from George Floyd right on up to this shooting being designed to turn the public against the police. That's where that defund the police phrase even came from. And then you got the super progressive district attorneys that won't prosecute crimes, and they do this catch and release thing on top of kicking out the non-compliant unvaccinated cops. So now there are fewer doing the job than ever. It starts to stack up. And the good guys that I know who are police officers have said that they're pretty much over it because the general PR is so bad and the DAs being soft on crime means they are arresting the same people week after week who know there are no consequences. So as hard as that job is already, it just seems super convenient that we're hearing all this about supply shortages, inflation, and people being on the edge of poverty. And the public's relationship with the police is on such shaky ground, with less on the force than usual after the jab debacle. And it all seems engineered for some purge-like chaos. Again, maybe I'm crazy, but when certain people realize that the cops are overworked, exhausted, and not showing up for 30 minutes because they're spread too thin, not really a direction I want to see things go. But all that on top of the cult of the medic stuff, I think made for a informative episode for us. I've been reading more about this snake venom perspective, and it seems like a lot of people smarter than me are taking it seriously. Remember when Sophia Smallstorm kind of made similar points based on the work of a doctor she was following around the time of our last interview, who was saying that viruses are actually extracted toxins from plants? and then put out into the world, or something very similar. And it's not to say there are no viruses, but just that they extract toxins from plants and animals in the lab, attach them to viruses or bacteria or whatever, and then it's framed as natural. That's a thing that happens. It doesn't have to be the only reason people get sick, but it seems like that is a thing. And for me, it's not like we need to solve all this with a single conclusion, you know? David mentioned his interview with Dr. Braun, and it's a good one. The guy said, notice how we never had a SARS outbreak until they started doing work on it in the early 2000s? Makes you think. And I don't know if COVID and what's in the vaccines is a snake venom peptide, but if you listen to Dr. Artis talk about it, or you listen to David's interview with Dr. Braun, they make a very academic and detailed case. So you're just getting a broad overview here, and you might not even care. You might be over the whole COVID thing. You landed on something, and you're not looking to adapt, and that's fine. But as a thread that's gaining traction with really bright doctors who aren't on the corporate payroll, and with David doing this series on the deep history of these knighthoods and secret orders literally founding the Western hospital structure, coupled with Rockefeller Petromedicine, of course, it was too convenient of a bridge to not bring it up. I too thought we were done with new takes on COVID and the shots. Obviously, we're learning more about the damages all the time. 
Luc Montagnier, who got the Nobel Prize for discovering the HIV virus, died not long after doing interviews where he said COVID looks a lot like HIV AIDS. Now we have mainstream stories that people who took the shots have tested positive for HIV. But don't worry, they're all false positives. Well, <laughs> I find that pretty coincidental. Seems like the shots crashed the immune system, and they are now talking about yearly shots, as was predicted. And we'll leave it at that. I won't even get into blood clots, myocarditis, fertility issues, cancers that form when the blood clots get stuck, athletes dropping mid-game, the new, more intensive health screenings that some schools have put in place to play sports as a vaccinated student, or the young kids that are suddenly getting hepatitis. But the snake venom angle makes some sense to me, and I wanted to at least put it somewhere in the THC archive. And so now that you've heard about it, you can either look deeper with those resources if you want, or don't. And the nicotine thing is really interesting too, though, isn't it? If you get COVID, try some nicotine gum and see what happens. I'd be willing to do that. So I found it compelling, and symbolically, it's a very clean tie-in, and going back to the Knights Hospitalier is a nice touch. We throw shade at a lot of power pyramid factions, but we... Haven't talked about these under-the-radar knighthoods in a long time. I haven't really thought of them as the most relevant group, but if you listen to Michael Tassarion talk, they sound like the goddamn apex. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist, right? <laughs> but that's the show. If you only heard the first hour, come on, help me out here. If you find the first hour worth your time week after week, it's time to convert. Out of respect for me not doing ads at least, right? Plus, you get a whole second hour. And today's, we talked about the Serpent and the Shield, the Red Cross and the Knights of Malta, dissecting elite factions and the question of if they are non-humans at the top. Ancient hybridization and the elite, the Mars Chronicles, we finally got to it. The very important question of if our media is dishonest today, how bad do you think our history is? A good little section about the peer review system and how backwards that is, and we talked about cognitive dissonance and genius. I'm sure there's more, but that's what I can think of right now. Double your pleasure, double your fun, thehiresidechats.com, seven-day free trial. Come on! <laughs> and as for the Higher Side Meetups calendar, it's looking pretty bare, except for one request in St. Louis to get some beers, but it's not even really an event. It's a vague request. The right way to do it is to just say, hey, here is where we're going. This is when we'll be there. Come on down. But the calendar is just something I set up for you guys. Hopefully some new events pop up soon, but we will see. Maybe everybody's coming down to Austin on the 25th to meet me and Gordon. Oh, I also just found out Michael Wan will be there as well. So what a trifecta of conspiracy podcast goodness. Very exciting only 23 days away. And another good reason why it's important to support the people you like, because sometimes you get invited to a free event in Austin, and that's a beautiful thing. But I suppose that's all she wrote. Big thanks to David for all his work. He really makes me feel like I could be doing more. Maybe I'll start. But let him know if you liked it. Put a bug in his ear about bringing the OG Michael Desarion back to us. That would be a real treat. 
But until then, I'm getting out of here. Your move, Hospitalier Knights, Snake Venom Scientists, and Card Carrying Cult of the Medics members. Your fucking move. This is important. Hear what I said. I'm trying to tell you. It's not paranoia, not in my head. It's just the hard truth. Knocked on your door while I still can to ask you a question. Cause I know your head is still in the sand. Don't be sheep to your slaughter for the rest of your life. Oppressed, oppressed, but you're getting woke. You say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die. Tough luck, my friend. Did you get the memo? Can't you see that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway. It's a scary dark world. Scarier every day. Scary dark world. No matter what you say. Scary dark world. Don't think we'll be okay. Can't you see that we're so But we don't have a choice It seems we're stuck here But you can find noses Drown out the noise Now use that altar End up your magic game And listen to THC You know you go with the entities If you ever see the UFO Don't be sheep to your slaughter For the rest of your life Oppressed, oppressed But you're getting you say you don't want to be stressed until the day you die Tough luck, my friend Did you get the memo? Can't you say that we're so screwed? Don't you know we're our kung fu? Can't you just admit we're screwed? I'm gonna tell you this anyway It's a scary dark world Scarier every day Scary dark world Is another show complete. 
Remember, as much as you enjoyed this, which is just the free first hour, I hope you'll become a Plus member to hear the full two-hour interviews. You also can engage with other Plus members in the comments and the forums, and you'll find your answer to one of the most common questions I get, which is where can I find those cover songs that you use at the end of the show? Well, they are free downloads for Plus members too. And without Plus members, I can't hire the occasional musician to bring these odd cover song ideas to fruition. Plus members are how I'm able to do what I do without ads and without the big machine being on my back. We can fit so much more into a two-hour interview, and I do my best to make it worth your time and money. The conversation only gets deeper, weirder, and more controversial in that private hour. How could it not the way things are going? But the best way to sign up is at thehiresidechats.com, where new first-time subscribers always get a free seven-day trial because I'm just that confident. There's no PayPal on the website, but if you need to use PayPal, then sign up through Patreon and you get all the same episodes. Our website is a credit or debit system, but you can also scope out the other options like a few various cryptos, cash or check, mail to the P.O. Box. And I'll even barter with most people if you have your own business and produce something nice that my wife or kid or taste buds might like. But the architects of consensus reality have made it clear that these themes and topics aren't really welcome on the main stage. And so this is how we secure a little counterculture corner for ourselves, and I hope you'll join Plus because that is the only way it works. Besides, you can cancel anytime right on your profile page. The most common concern I hear is people just being unsure if THC Plus will work with their podcast app, and the answer is probably yes. But if not, we have several high-level app recommendations for whatever phone you use, and the website is made for mobile too. We're trained to tip a waitress for bringing us a sandwich, but that tip doesn't give you access to a second sandwich. Really, I'm not asking for any more than that, and I think I offer a better service. Come get your second serving of tasty conspiracy goodness in exchange for that small token of your appreciation. Beyond that, let it also be known that we have grown and survived as long as we have by word of mouth. I don't care so much about social media likes or follows, but tell the right people about THC. And not just listeners, but the high-level figures who are better suited to sit down with me than most other hosts. And if you can help me with any of these things, I can work to bring you better shows, which is just a win-win for both of us. Informative, entertaining, and action-packed. It also never hurts to thank a guest you liked if you have the time either. We want them to know people are listening, so they're willing to come back down the road too. Thank you for spending some time with me and cheers to a better tomorrow.